Welcome to Leaders of the West, a podcast for innovators and changemakers. I'm your host, Jesse Jarvis, the founder of Of the West, and I'm sitting down with agriculturalists, entrepreneurs, executives, and everyone in between with the goal of digging into the strategies, mindsets, and lessons that have been crucial to the success of ag and Western. Whether you're carrying on the next generation of your family's operation, starting something from scratch, or determined to climb up the leadership ladder, we're going to inspire you to continue to dream big, growing not just you, but the future of agriculture and Western as a whole. Let's go. Welcome to this week's episode of Leaders of the West. Today, we have a guest who I know you guys are all going to love. We have Zach Lawless, the CEO of Higher Boots. Zach and Hire have a very unique story, and I am looking forward to being able to share that with you guys today. Zach, I know you're a busy guy, so thanks for taking the time to sit down with us and pour your knowledge into our listeners. Yeah, of course. No, I'm really excited when you, when you reached out and, and I learned more about what the podcast was about. Uh, I got really excited to jump on because uh, inspiring that, that next group of leaders, whether in the West or outside the industry, is something I'm, I'm very passionate about. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that. And I have a feeling this is going to be a good episode, just knowing that those missions really align for both of us. But to kick things off, can you give us a brief overview of who you are and share with us the very one-of-a-kind story of Higher Boots? Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, my name is Zach Lawless. I'm the CEO of Higher Boots. Higher Boots is a Western footwear company, specifically a cowboy boot company. And what we are known for is that we invented the cowboy boots. So if you type in uh, who invented the cowboy boot in Google, you'll see Hire Boots pop up. And the guy who invented that cowboy boot, a guy by the name of C.H. Hire, is, uh, is actually my great-great-grandfather. And so we were one of the, obviously one of the original footwear companies of the West. Uh, we're a name that's, that's uh, I think, often forgotten because we went out of business in the 70s. But we had a really prominent piece in the early development of of Western culture, Western fashion, and that from a period of about the 1890s to 1920s, we were actually the largest footwear manufacturer in the United States outside of New England. That is fascinating. So what can you give us a little bit more as far as how is Higher Boot relevant today? What has kind of led you to this quest? I know there's a really, a really cool piece of that story that I think our listeners would really appreciate to hear. Yeah, I know. I've had a really unique entrance into this industry, into this into this category. And I think that it speaks a lot about where we're coming from, but also wh- why we are relevant today. And, and that I grew up not knowing much about higher boots, right? So my my grandfather was the, the last CEO of the company. And uh, we lost the company in the 1970s when he was there. It wasn't a positive moment for our, our family and the, the bank took over and, and it wasn't like a, a strong exit or anything for our family. And so uh, with that, not many people talked about it growing up. You know, I joke with people all the time that my grandmother, we'd be sitting around Thanksgiving table and my grandmother would say, you know, we invented the cowboy boot and we'd laugh. And like, yeah, and dad invented the, the internet, you know, and and, uh, and then we would be like, see it, Christmas grandma, no one, no one really took it too seriously. But about four years ago now, my grandfather actually passed away. And we were moving my grandmother into a retirement home and I was going through the basement and opened up this box of, uh, uh, or this old box. And at the top of it was a few pairs of boots. And actually the, the first thing I saw was a picture of Calvin Coolidge dedicating Mount Rushmore uh, and a pair of cowboy boots, which were higher boots, along with a letter that 
had his order form on it and uh, a note that said he couldn't imagine dedicating Mount Rushmore in anybody else's boots. And so that was really cool. And, and I, and I dug through it and found out all this, all this other memorabilia that they'd saved and these, these letters that said all the famous people that had worn it, everyone from like Billy the Kid and Teddy Roosevelt and Jesse James and just all these icons that I thought was amazing were amazing. So I, uh, I went up and asked my grandmother about it. And in this time where she was going through a really difficult time, it was, it was really as if she'd been waiting 50 years for somebody to ask her that question about higher boots. And she lit up, we ended up staying, uh, staying up pretty late and just talking about the different stories about higher boots. And, and, uh, like I said, she was going through a really hard moment. And so when we left, I looked at my girlfriend at the time, my fiance now, and, uh, and told her that I was going to try to track down the trademark and get it back to, to give it as a Christmas gift for my grandmother. This was like just before Thanksgiving, actually. So I was thought I was going to be able to get it back in, in two months, but that wasn't the case. It was a, it was a much longer process to to get back the trademark. That is such an awesome story, and one that I know can really relate to a lot of people. Just as far as how many people have farms and ranches, and maybe didn't make it through the eighties or nineties when things were tough, and just knowing that you still can really manifest that past into the present and the future. And I think that that is a really beautiful story and also shows a lot about you to really take on that initiative. And not only did you get the trademark, but you have basically resurrected this company now and producing a line of boots. And, you know, that's really, really inspiring and remarkable. Yeah, no, And it's been every bit of uh, the beginning was getting the trademark back in, in that, that process of learning about it was just the beginning. I tell people all the time, it feels like I'm on some, uh, you know, everybody kind of dreams about going to their, their grandparents' basement and like finding a treasure that leads them on this incredible journey, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and it's kind of come true for me. And it feels like every day is a real dream. Like it really does feel like uh, I've been so blessed to be able to do this and something I'm so passionate about. And and uh, and I have had a lot of people who've talked to me about, well, like maybe my son doesn't necessarily want to take over the family business or, or this and that. And, like, how can I get them to 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 want to do that or, or things of that nature? And, you know, I, I always tell them that you got to be passionate about it, right? You It's got to be something where you find meaning in it. And so I, I think that for me, I've been able to find it in this project and it's made it so that this this whole thing's really come together. And that's the key piece of, I guess, passing on to that next generation is just making sure that they find meaning in, in what it is that they're building. And so, like I said, I've been really fortunate to do that here and it's been a really crazy journey so far. That is awesome. So prior to being the CEO of Higher Boots, you have been in leadership positions with other companies. Can you give us a little bit more backstory on that piece of your life and how those experiences have clearly prepared you for this journey at the helm of hire. Yeah, it definitely has. So I actually, I started another business in 2017. I was in a completely different category. It was in the food space. It was a company called Fresh Bowl. And I really don't think I would have been able to launch hire without that experience. I definitely would not have been able to, I think, dream as big as we are right now with hire without that. One, it, it taught me just the foundation of building a business, you know, from uh, the legal the, the legal work required to launch it, to being able to put together the business plan, to fundraising behind that, to be able to make sure you can execute the business plan. I learned so much about building a team, right? So I learned that that you have to hire for certain experiences, that you have to bring the right people together, that culture has such a, a big play about it as well too. And so the team part was a much more intricate process of building a company than than I was really aware of when I first started that business. And then Lastly, I learned a lot about persistence. You know, it's uh, it's hard work to start a business, and uh, you have to look at everything as as a challenge and not a roadblock, and come up with plans on how to overcome it. And I honestly think that so the part of the story that I didn't get to is kind of what we've gone through on 
on relaunching it. And when I tracked that trademark actually down to a really rather large entity that owned the trademark through a number of acquisitions, and uh, I called them to buy to see if I could get it back from them. And uh, they basically told me to go kick rocks. And so uh, I think a lot of people would have looked at that as, oh, I'm never going to get it back. And instead, I, I told them on the phone, I was like, you're going to hear from me every week until you guys decide to give it back. So I, I put on my calendar an hour every Wednesday and I'd wake up in the morning and then just annoy as many people as I could at the firm until I got that trademark back. And so I do really think that that persistence and, and being able to look at everything as a challenge and not a roadblock came from those past experiences. I tell you what, persistence, that is something that every business owner absolutely has because the road is not easy, as we all are very well aware of. But that brings me to another question. So most people come into a company that's currently in business or they start something from scratch, right? With Hire, you have this really unique opportunity of reviving a company that hasn't been in business for more than 30 years. And while I say that is a unique opportunity, as we kind of mentioned before, I think there are a lot of people in our industry who are in a similar boat with farming and ranching operations that they've watched sit dormant for years and are interested in bringing them back to life, but maybe don't know how. So what has that journey been like? And what advice would you give to someone who's in that phase? Uh, Well, you know, I think that it's a really fortunate place to be in that, that you have something to build upon. It's it's a lot harder to start things a lot of time from scratch, but you do still face a lot of the same roadblocks and that you have to build everything from scratch. Every time you do a process, it's that first time that process is ever being done in your company, right? And so the second time it becomes easier, the third time it becomes uh, easier than that. But a lot of times I'll even get people from big companies that come over and, and work for us and they're like, man, this is so much harder than, than it was over there. And, and I tell them, it is that first time you have to do everything from scratch, but it gives you the opportunity to do things the right way, right? And you're not stuck with legacy software and programming and systems and operations. You get to build everything the way that you want it to. And so I try to always encourage people on my team to say, one, hey, failure is not the thing that we're running away from. It's what we're running towards. Uh, and to be able to get as many iterations in as, far, as possible, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to strive to get it done well. You have to be intentional about what you do. And that everything you do is an opportunity to build a foundation for the future and uh, and to get things done the way that you've always wanted to be done. You hear a lot of people when they come from big companies that complain about how processes were done and stuff. But uh, then there's there's a select few people that, that when you... Some people, when you put them in the opportunity to build those processes, they, they don't do it. And then there's other people who are really just excited to do it. And that's what you have to look for when you're building a company is people that are really excited about the, the opportunity to do something from scratch. Well, and in reality, had you taken any any processes from the 1970s and put them into into today, they clearly wouldn't have worked anyways. And if they had, we probably would have questioned you, right? Correct. I mean, well, there's still a lot of how boots are made that, that uh, were done in the 70s that were great, right? And there's processes that have been modernized in ways that make the boots cheaper. And then there's been processes that have been modernized in ways to make them more comfortable and more durable. And it's actually been interesting to go back and be able to take a frame, uh, a look at both of those and, and build what we believe is is uh, the top quality product of, on the market. And we are bringing back some things that have been lost in kind of the modern boot. And then on the same note, we're taking modern practices. People's feet have changed, right? Like the last, the, the forms that we were building the boots around in the 1920s don't rec- represent the modern foot anymore. So we had to really go through everything with, with a fine viewpoint of, of trying to make sure that we we do bring out things from the past that that have relevance in today's uh, industry. And then we also make sure that we're, we're not building something that is nostalgic, but has no function in the, in the modern workplace. 
There is definitely a very, a very delicate balance of that. And then also honoring the heritage that is higher, but obviously, you know, continuing that into the future. So one thing that you touched on that I want to, that I want to come back to is most companies start out small and they slowly scale and add employees one by one as they grow. But when it comes to a company like Hire, where you guys are producing and selling products at such a large scale, that one-by-one employee acquisition model doesn't necessarily fit. So can you explain how you guys have really scaled your team and the strategy behind what positions you guys have hired for first? Yeah. And the key word of what you said there is strategy, right? This is the trickiest part of starting a, starting a business. If you want to move quickly, you have to hire quickly. You have to build out roles that uh, you, have to, you have to have a really clear vision and strategy, right? And so for me, coming from outside the industry, one of the first parts of that was actually finding that strategy, how we want to approach the market, what are the opportunities, what are the things people are doing well, what are the things that they're not doing well. And so the first person I went to go get before anyone was somebody that had that knowledge. And so I brought on a guy by the name of Louis Russo, uh, who'd worked at Justin for 15 years, who'd worked at Wrangler for 15 years, recently worked at Huey, knew this industry like the back of his hand and started jumping into it with him and brainstorming and then really testing, going out and talking to the key stakeholders with each, each time we had an idea of what we could do, let's go talk to the key stakeholders and figure out this is an actual problem we can solve or, or what are the opportunities to. And so once we aligned on kind of what are the opportunity in the, the categories that we're going to go after, right? We, we aligned on wholesale as our major, our major channel. And I think that a lot of people were expecting a newer company to be an econ, but I believe the opportunities are there. I think the pendulum is swinging back towards power for the retailers. And I think that, uh, that we feel really strongly that that's the right channel for a footwear category for our brand, for our consumer. And so we, uh, we decided that was going to be our primary focus. We started looking at where are the, the opportunities in the market and really quality made product. It was lacking in a lot of regards. We heard that boots weren't, weren't holding up the way that the consumer would want. And so uh, we decided to go for best in class, which is along the lines of what hires always done, uh, long lasting, durable product and built for the, the active Western consumer. Uh, not a boot that's built for fashion, but a boot that's built for function and has use over long periods of time. So we went out with those business ideals and, and built a team around it. So you'll see that we went out and got people who have experience with wholesale. We went out and got people that have experience building boots for that that uh, that consumer. And so once we had the strategy in place, who we needed became very obvious. Uh, we wrote roles and responsibilities. We did it the right way. But then the trickiest part, this is the part that I think a lot of people miss when they're starting a business is that the trickiest part is actually getting the right people. It's not, it's not putting together the business plan. It's not, it's not raising capital. A lot of times people are really scared about raising capital. If you've got a good business plan, raising capital is really not that difficult. The right business plan and the right model for, for investment as well too. Sometimes you have a great business, but it's not the right model for investment. But, but if you know you've got those two things, the hardest part is actually getting people who are good at their job, that are qualified, that feel like they're getting value at their current employer and getting them to leave, to come over and uh, go after something that's, audacious and, and not really yet established to, to jump on board. And we've been really fortunate that, that people have done that. And I think that that's because we laid down those foundational elements first. We had a great story. Uh, then we used that to basically leverage getting capital and resources behind us. Then we came up with a, a great business plan and a great model for growing it. And then we went out and identified the right talent and brought them on board. You had so many mic drop moments in that, um, you know, but the first being is really getting the right people into the right seats. And obviously, as the person who's in charge, that then gives you more confidence because you know everybody is doing their jobs, they're following through, and you don't have to go back and check their work. It probably puts you in a much more 
you know, confident weight off of your shoulders position. 100%. I mean, I tell people, I think it's kind of like an overused term, but like I tell people all the time that I get to be the dumbest guy in every meeting, right? Every single person I've hired around me has a superpower that is something that I don't have and that they can do so well that I get to learn every day on the job. And then my, my goal and how we set up this company is that everybody in management, it's a servant leadership, basically, right? We set it up so that everybody should feel like they're a resource for the person below them, not that the person below them is a resource for them. And, uh, and so I, I tell people all the time, my goal is to be able to get the resources to everyone else who's better, more knowledgeable and better at what they do than what I would be trying to do, do their job. And so what I do well is, is bring resources to the people that I put around me and get the right people around me as well, too. So I think if you have the, I think if you have the right people, best thing you can really do is give them the right, the right platform, the right opportunity, and the right resources. So when you're bringing on employees one by one, it's really easy to set that standard and create a really strong, positive company culture because employees are usually brought on and they're under the wing of somebody else who can kind of show them the ropes in the sense. Obviously, though, when you're hiring a number of employees at once, that can be a bit more challenging because there for a while, nobody necessarily knows what they're doing. I mean, they know what they're doing, just like you said, right? Everybody has the knowledge. But as far as like how this works in this new structure can be a little bit of a challenge. So what strategies are you guys implementing to really set the standard of a strong company culture at hire? Yeah, I mean, it's growing fast is is difficult to build a strong company culture. Also, being a remote workforce for a remote workforce makes it more difficult to have a strong culture. But I think that for us, we've been able to do it. I mean, I we joke that the most negative thing about Hire Boots is that we are remote because when we get together, everyone has such a good time. Um, I've been so fortunate. And, and I say that like very like, this is a big thing for me, right? I, I remember when I was in my first job out of college, or my first, second, third job out of college, all of them, I felt like I was always showing up as a different version of myself, the version that that employer wanted me to be as opposed to being able to be myself every day. And I felt like that hindered me from being able to have personal fulfillment at the job, be able to do my best to be able to enjoy and, and, uh, and want to be there and feel like I'm a part of a bigger team. And so I think that being able to put people in the right positions where uh, they get to be able to be good at their superpower, um, whatever that is. And then, uh, and then also being able to understand like, what is your company culture? What is that one thing that really unites everyone? And for us, that thing that unites everyone is a love for the Western way of life. And that's kind of been who we've hired. So there's this foundational element that brings everyone together. And then everyone also gets this feeling of being able to be themselves, being able to be valued and feel like they're getting fulfillment in the company. And I believe that creates a really strong culture. We've been really cognizant of it. It, it is hard to go and, and bring employees on, like I said earlier. Um, we've been really lucky that with the people we brought on, it's been a snowball effect. We have people reaching out to us now that want to be a part of what we're doing, which is a really fortunate place to be in. We've decided not to move on with people who are really talented at the position that they're doing, even strategically for what we're doing, just because culturally, it, it might not make a huge fit. Not necessarily even say that that person is not a, a great person or a fun person in some regards, but just that there's certain ways that, that we operate and we're looking for that in the candidates we bring on. So I'm being really cognizant of a number of different factors and, and making sure that everyone has a, at least one uniting characteristic. And, and like I said, that for us, that's a, a love for the Western way, way of life. That and I can tell being a risk taker. Obviously, it's a, it's a risk to come to a company that is, and I, I hate to say new because you guys aren't new, but maybe refreshed, if you will, and not necessarily knowing what the future holds, but at the same time, risk takers are the people who make things happen. 1000%. It's got to feel good knowing that you have a team of risk takers behind you. 
Yeah, and that's one of those key characteristics that, that I look for in, in people as well, too, is to see how do they, like I said earlier, I, and I say to all of my employees, all of the employees of the company, like, we are not afraid of failure. We are chasing it. The more times we can fail and iterate and go forward and move on, the the better. And and there's there has to be a, uh, I don't know if desire to take risk, but, but take worth at risk, right? Calculated risk, not just risk for the sake of being a risk taker, but the fact that you you rise to the challenge on, on taking risk and you rise to the responsibility. You don't shy away from the responsibility associated with the risk. And that's actually been my favorite part about building a business in the space is that the Western, I, I won't even say consumer, but the Western, everybody that we've met who's come from this industry or come from this way of life, they have a sense of responsibility and a sense of a willingness to take risks that is, I think, rare. I've been so pleasantly surprised with people's willingness to to accept responsibilities uh, and, and to jump on problems when they need to be solved and, and to uh, to really take ownership. Uh, and I think that it has a lot to do with how everyone was raised, you know, uh, when you're taking care of animals at a young age or when you're working on the farm or things like that, you learn a sense of responsibility and the ability to work hard that well, other folks might not have. And so, I mean, we've had a ton of success hiring in this industry and been something that's actually been really noticeable. Well, obviously we feel the same way too, but you're so spot on about just, I think having that responsibility from a young age and knowing that the morals and the the characteristics that our families expect from us and our friends expect from us, that that, that is on you and we don't want to disappoint people. You know, it's been one of the funniest things ever. So I, like I said, I had another business before this. And in those interviews, everyone would come in and just tell me this crazy story about how great they are and how amazing they are. And they're really good about like painting an incredible picture of, of their skill sets and, and things like that. In this industry, it's been the exact opposite. It's like people are telling me, like, oh, I'm like, okay, they, they undersell themselves. Uh, a lot of times they're very humble. And it's really great. Like you don't have to try to like cut through the BS, right? It's they're they're super upfront about it, which allows you to make really like to be able to put them in a better just better position. And uh, it's interesting, you know. It's uh, it's a lot more valuable. They, everybody wants to, everybody really wants to help, you know. We are definitely a culture who under promises and over delivers. That I that I do Correct. know. So on that topic, one question that we get a lot out of the West revolves around people on the outside of the industry. So maybe they have that passion, but they don't necessarily have experience, right? They didn't come from a farm or a ranch or a Western sports background. And they feel like they don't have enough industry experience to be part of our industry. And they allow that assumption to really hinder their opportunities. And as I mentioned, for the most part, your experience wasn't in the Western lifestyle or the product production space. So has there ever been any part of you that has kind of felt unqualified, if you will? And how have you, you know, what have you done to combat those thoughts so that you can really grow into your role and lead your team? Yeah, no, I mean, first of all, I've definitely felt that way. I think that it's a, a natural feeling for probably people starting businesses uh, I've heard a lot of people refer to it as like founder syndrome or that idea that you're underqualified for what you are. And so I think it's, it's very normal for people to experience. I think that's what, what is important is to be able to understand what part of that is rational and what part of that is irrational, right? If you're afraid of, of doing something because you might not succeed, that's irrational. But if you're, uh, if you actually are underqualified, that's actually rational and it's healthy, right? That having a real understanding of, of where you are is a really good place to start. And I think that a lot of times 
we, we I talked earlier about about challenges instead of roadblocks, and I think that a lot of times people look at things like lack of experience and say that's a roadblock for me, uh, but it's really just a challenge, right? And so most of the things I've seen with friends who've started businesses or jumped into a new industry or, or things of that nature is that uh, when they say lack of experience to them, that's a challenge. How do I get in touch with the right person? Who can teach me more about this? How can I get there? When they say that they don't have resources, they start thinking about well. How could I raise money? How could I get the right people involved? Can I get a bank involved? If you start talking about lack of time, they start thinking about how can I reprioritize? What is important to me? Is this actually where I want to go? And so uh, I'm a big believer that if you want something, go for it. If you're really passionate about this industry and you want to jump into it, there will be people that will help you out. I think one of the main key learnings I've had in my entire life is that if you understand what are your weaknesses, lack of experience, for instance, in this question, and you go out to address it, if you just ask questions, you'd be shocked the amount of people that will answer it. And especially in this industry, right? Especially like I have found so many more people willing to give time and energy and advice in, in the Western space than any other industry. People really, it's, it's more than just a job. It's a passion. And so that people want to see it live on. And so if you know it is, know what you're trying to solve, reach out to people, reach out to the best, like honestly, reach out to the best person in this industry for that. And I will put money that if you do that five times, at least one of them will, will answer your, your call and give you some of their time. I mean, that's honestly how I started. I, I came from the outside of this industry and, and uh, I got just started networking around and asking questions with that same idea of like, hey, how can I learn more about cowboy boots? What's going on with this industry? And I would just be, I was, I was insanely curious. And uh, that led me to being introduced actually to a guy named Randy Bernard, who was the CEO of PBR. And then Randy, when I was talking to him, I was like, well, who knows the Western boot industry better than anyone else in the whole world? And Randy was, Randy was like this guy, Louis Russo. So I jumped on the call with Louis. Louis was retired and I was just trying to pick his brain. And two weeks later, he's now our, the president of our company and he's, he's on board with me. But it was just about being curious and asking questions. And like I said, it was amazing how many people will, will answer those questions. You, you won't lack experience for very long if you ask a lot of questions and, and talk to a lot of people. No, you are so spot on about how you will be surprised at the answers you get if you are willing to ask good questions. And that also goes back to what you said earlier about the persistence factor, because I know that if you're persistent enough to call every Wednesday morning to get a trademark back, that your persistence in asking questions obviously brought those really, really strong answers forward. And I'm still learning every day, right? I, I, like I said, I, I was able to put people around me that have a lot of experience. And so I, uh, I don't know if I'll ever have enough experience, but I'm, I'll always be curious and I'll always try to get more people with experience around me. Oh, well, I know. I know with that, hire is definitely going higher places, if you will. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the rapid fire round. So we are, we've got four questions. We ask uh, some iteration of these questions to every guest. So the first being, what's the best piece of business or personal advice you've ever been given? Back to, to the guy Lewis we were talking about, one of the first things he had me do is start putting together like a military framework for problem solving. So like objectives, strategies, tactics, resources, timelines. And it was great to have like to put a problem solving framework together. So to start every question with that, it's a, it's like the military strategy for problem solving. And um, it's really helped me organize my, my thoughts and decision-making process. Okay. What is the worst piece of business or personal <laughs> advice that you've ever been given? And maybe it's not the worst per se, but what advice do you hear people give and you really just wish they'd stop giving that advice? 
I was going to say, so I don't know if it's a, a specific one. I'd say that I, I've probably received a, a lot of bad business advice over the last few years, but most of, most of it's really harmless, right? Because you, it's like you're like distant cousin trying to tell you like that you need to do something and you know that they have no idea. And so you don't take it too seriously. Where, where I get bad advice is actually good advice from and smart people that I know I should trust that just aren't educated on my business and aren't taking the time to be able to do it. So a lot of times you have to be careful of like what questions you're asking like what understanding that that person giving you you advice can actually can actually logically have based on the information that they have, right? And so, um, I don't know if I have a great instance, but a lot of times I have uh, caught myself going down the wrong way because I'm, I'm listening to advice from somebody who's really smart, but they just doesn't understand what what I'm doing. Oh, amen to that. I constantly say, if I asked my 80-year-old dad who has built a fabulous ranch, if I asked him anything related to Of The West and an online job platform, what I should be doing, he wouldn't have the slightest idea. But that doesn't mean that that he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's just in that specific you know, sector or industry or, or piece of life that the importance of going and finding somebody who knows what they're talking about as it relates to the answer and the question that you're asking is huge. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like you said, your dad's, but your dad's got so much good advice. You just have to be, you have to understand what, what, uh, what to take and what not to take. And that's hard, especially for like early entrepreneurs who are just like so excited that maybe somebody's answering their question or that that person got on a phone call with them. And once you start to get that confidence, it's a little bit less scary, but early days, it's tough to wade through a lot of that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. What's one quote that you lead your life by? Um, oh, Teddy Roosevelt's man in the arena. It's, it's a long quote, but not the critic, the count. It's the, 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 guy, the man who actually strives to do the deed, whose face is marred by dust and blood and sweat and tears. The, that quote is, has been like on my wall since I was a little kid. It's like, uh, it's, what I, it's actually we're building kind of the ethos of even the brand around it. I love that. Okay, last question. If you could go to dinner with anybody, dead or alive, who would it be? <laughs> Probably still Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he could not only read that quote to me, but, uh, but on the same note, uh, he's just probably the most interesting man in the world. Not only did he wear hires, which is great. It's probably one of the main reasons I got so excited when I was going through my grandparents' uh, box. Uh, but he's just been like an idol of mine for a long time. And I feel like he's accomplished, he accomplished more in one lifetime before we even had like planes and stuff. He accomplished more in, in one lifetime than, than most people do, or even some of the greatest people today do. And so I would, uh, I would love to sit down for dinner and pick his brain on, on, on leadership even. And he's an incredible leader. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt has always been a, a favorite of mine. So we, we have Amazing. that in common. Awesome. Hi, well, thank guy. you. He, of course. I'm going to, I'm okay. Yeah. That actually, I have one more question. The question of all questions for listeners, obviously uh, some may understand the wholesale process. Some may not, but when will they be able to find higher boots on the shelves at their local store? So we'll have our first few retailers coming on board in July. So they'll be available at NRS, Keeners, and Nigros Western Store here in Kansas City. And then in August, we're going to roll out to uh, nationwide retailers. And we should hopefully, we'll, we'll be at close to 150 to 200 doors at that point. Awesome. So there's only a couple months and you guys can get some higher, higher boots on your feet. Only a couple months and, and we'll have a limited availability online as well too. So uh, once our website's up and running, we will, like I said, our main channel is going to be wholesale, but there will be some limited availability online. We do recommend that customers go into the store and try on the boots. Cowboy boots are, as everyone who wears them often knows, a really hard, uh, really hard fit. There's no laces. It's not like buying a pair of running shoes. 
Um, so most boots fit a little bit different. So go in, find your right size. Uh, we spent a lot of work, a lot of work to get what we believe is the best fit in the industry. We want to make sure that you get the right size for you. So uh, we do recommend stop by one of our retailers, check it out. Uh, we'll also be at the uh, National High School Rodeo Finals. So we'll, have, uh, we'll be there with NRS. So if people are around there, they can, they can check it out and get a pair of boots. But yeah, we couldn't be any more excited to, to launch. We're making what we believe is the, the best boot on the market, a durable, well-made boot. And, and they're beautiful too. So check out our website and check us out in stores. Perfect. Where can people find you at online? Like I said, so our retailers will have their own own website. So NRS will be up. Uh, NRS Tuners and uh, Niagara's will all have our product in line. For the full selection, uh, it will be available on our website as well, too. Like I said, more in, more in limited quantities. Uh, but it, you can find all of those retailers that's available at by going to our website and looking at the uh, find a retailer. So uh, once we're live in, in July and August, uh, there'll be a, a way to locate the retailer closest to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Zach. You, as I had a feeling, were an absolute wealth of knowledge across all things business, hiring, personal insight. So thank you for that. Hey, if this episode was helpful for you, it could be for somebody else. So to help spread the word, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode, add it to your Instagram stories, tag Higher Boots, tag of the West, all of the above, and be sure to hit the follow or the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And we will see you guys next week. If you loved this episode, do us a favor and share it with someone else who might find just as much value in it as you did. We're on a mission to continue to grow and strengthen the future of agriculture and Western industries, and you spreading the word helps us make more of a positive impact. It also makes a big difference when you take a minute to go rate and review the show. We can't thank you enough for listening, for sharing, and for loving Ag and Western as much as we do. We'll see you back here for our next episode.